0: You are listening to a Comics Pals book club edition. This is actually a listener request that we are doing. Uh, Thank you to Spring Hill Rick, a.k.a. Harris from the Discord server. What up, Harris? The gang is all here to discuss the book that you chose for this month, which is Earth X. Now, Earth X is a Marvel comic, I guess you could call it an event, um, by Jim Kruger and uh, John Paul Leon. Alex Ross created the concept and um, gave it to Kruger and Paul, and they brought it to life. Uh, Can't, of course, forget Bill Reinhold on inks and Todd Klein on letters uh Matt Hollingsworth, with some colors, Melissa Edwards and Linda Lesman, so a full team attached to this juggernaut of a book uh that spanned the course of fifteen issues, I guess, when you consider the zero and the the one and a half yeah that, <laughs> so uh lots of Earth x stuff and I'm very, very, very interested. In hearing what you guys think about this book. I don't think any of us have ever read it before. Is that correct? I had literally not even heard of it before this.
1: Nope. No idea.
0: Okay. So really fast before we jump into our uh, our opinions. Uh, I do want to give a little bit of history as to how Earth X came to be. Uh, Wizard Magazine actually commissioned Alex Ross... To come up with what he thought a dystopian future would look like for Marvel's cast of characters. And then Ross designed them and gave them an outline of what that story could be. Um, And they published that. And it did so well for Wizard, it sold out that issue, that that issue of Wizard, um, that eventually Marvel themselves actually commissioned Ross to design an entire oh, story, the story that we eventually get with Earth X, and that's what we're reading now. Never heard that's of Will's wild. Sorry? Yeah, remember. that is <laughs> Go ahead, Kill. I'm just saying
2: that's absolutely wild. That is not something you're gonna hear in this the year of our Lord twenty twenty. Right. No.
3: <laughs> yeah. That that's such a like early aughts
2: thing. No nah, man. I think
3: there's <laughs> that's another nineties.
4: Bi- I think there's another big <laughs> comic coming out of Wizard soon.
3: <laughs> soon tm <laughs> wizard world's about to commission a comic
0: that'll save the brand so this this story it it encompasses a lot of different concepts that we talk about a lot on the book club um there's so much about morality uh the morality of murder whether there's righteousness in murder i always seem to host the book clubs that that deal with those heady subjects and it reminds me a lot of some of the other stuff that Alex Ross and Jim Krueger did uh like Kingdom Come there's a lot of similarities there I think No Mark Wade did Mark Kingdom Mark Wade Come. sorry okay yeah you're right yep Um what did you guys think about Earth X I I had mixed feelings um mm.
1: I think I think the narrative idea was strong. I don't know how it sort of plays out necessarily. And then I had a really kind of love-hate relationship with the art. Uh, sometimes it worked incredibly well for me. And then other times it, it didn't always fit. And I think that's largely due in part to the inks. And, um, mm. They felt like mm. very like thick and layered on. And it worked sometimes. Other times, I don't know, there were just moments where um it felt like it took up a lot of well, we'll get into it, but like it, it took up like a lot of space for me. So uh a, a mixed bag, I think, for me from a narrative and art perspective.
0: Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I would say I agree with that. Um particularly with your comment about the scope. Like I, I like I genuinely like stories like this. Like when you are familiar with a universe um in the way that you know, that I feel I am with the Marvel universe. You, I feel like you get rewarded for reading things that are kind of uh, a deconstruction or that take the pieces and put them in a new unique way. And that's, that's always something that is, is I think fun when it's done well. And there are parts of this that work for me. And there are a lot of elements that didn't work for me. Um, And I think it's unfortunate because and we'll get into it in the you know the full discussion, but the things that didn't work for me, I really don't think are extremely consequential to the story. So it's frustrating to me that they were such a detractor. Uh, so I can't really say much more without getting into spoiler territory. So it's like overall, there were things I enjoyed about it, but mixed bag for me too.
0: What about you, Kale?
2: For me, this came across as um – and and I couldn't get this out of my head once I realized it. It's just boring. Marvel Kingdom Come. Oh, interesting. Uh, I I I tried really hard to uh, get into it, and I felt like I was being just bogged down with exposition through the whole book. Yeah. Um. I I agree on the art side of what uh, with what Marco said. Some of the um some of the stuff, especially later in the book, is tremendous in the scope of scale in the art and the crazy stuff that happens is really good. But then some of the stuff early on in the book is just caked with ink that it sometimes you just can't tell what's going on. So I, I had a hard time with the book, especially, especially in, like, the format of the, the story and the narrative, uh, which we'll get into, so. What about you, Phil?
4: This book is like the Garfield sequel, A Tale of Two Kitties. Great. This.
2: <laughs> Can't wait to hear where this goes. <laughs> well,
4: that's, that's a long, okay. Where, where are we going with this, with this metaphor, Phil? <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you asked. So there are two parts of this story, really, uh, to me. I mean, there's two kitties, as it were. Two kitties, as it were. Um, There's everything that's happening with Steve Rogers, and I think all that stuff is pretty good. And then there's everything happening with Reed and the Inhumans, and I think that stuff is excellent. So uh, they intertwine, obviously, but like they're definitely two like separate narrative tracks um, as they kind of reach a climax. And I think yeah. I think the stuff with with Reed that uh, the reason why I enjoy it so much is it, it 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 plays toward my interests, which are heavily cosmic based. And mm-hmm. I think you're fair in in your analysis, Kale, of saying that it's exposition heavy. But when it comes to like heady cosmic stuff, I I entertain a lot of exposition. If you read old Jim Starlin, Adam, uh Adam Strange uh um adam warlock comics there are two very exposition heavy but i i kind of get into the 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 beats of it it's okay uh art wise there's some heavy inking for sure especially early on and in it you know we can get into specifics later uh but you can tell everything is is Got that Alex Ross influence on it, especially mm. Steve Rogers' design. Like he looks like something mm. out of Alex Ross's head. Uh, all in all, I I liked the book. I enjoyed it.
0: I too enjoyed it. Uh, I had such a great time reading this book. I was so happy throughout the process, and I didn't know that I would be. Um, I'm actually surprised that you said that. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I can see why, but this plays into everything that I enjoy about comic books. Yeah. Big, big questions. um, Otherworldly characters, cosmic stuff. Phil and I are always on the same page when it comes to that. Um, And, you know, seeing our heroes push to their absolute limits to prove their status. You know, Um, a hero, it's easy to be a hero. When everyone loves you and everything is is all well and good. And I think that that's something that comics have talked about a lot. I'm reminded of um, if Identity Crisis, where it shows how, you know, everything between the heroes and villains was like kids playing cops and robbers. And I think you can apply that to Marvel as well. You know, Captain America is the most celebrated hero of all time. Well, what happens when... The world that he is, you know, the defender of, the America that he's the defender of doesn't exist anymore. You know, who is he now? Those kinds of questions I really love. And I feel like this book asks them in spades. Um, you talked about the exposition. And for me, it was really cool to get these kind of like quick-ish descriptions of who these characters are boiling down boiling them down to their necessities and sort of answering to who they are in inspired ways i actually felt a few times i learned a new way to think about a character that i hadn't before
4: that's really interesting just to interject for a second yes something that always uh people always mention is how justice league characters feel like this pantheon of comics gods but it's because like there, there are core elements that are are attributed to like really that core five. This book made like Reed Richards, Tony Stark, and and Steve Rogers all feel mythological. Yes, absolutely, and I love
0: that, and I, I was really appreciative of that. And uh, the last thing I wanted to say uh, before we jump in everything is that. I felt like there were a lot of moments here that if you are a very big fan of Marvel, will get a massive pop out of you whether it's you know you're you're happy about what you're seeing or it's or it's awful in the sense that you know you feel for these characters. I had a lot of those. And that to me is a mark of a great book when it uses your knowledge of lore and history to make the story feel so much bigger. And that's something that all comics do better than a, almost any other medium because of the the history that exists.
3: Yeah, I think uh this book is a good example of a piece that rewards you for being a fan of it. Like if if you there are a lot of like really deep cut Marvel references and like nods to characters that are like really not very significant and stuff like that that are you know things that I definitely think um the experienced fan will, will get
0: a kick out of. Yeah. And before we expand this conversation, as I said before, this is a listener request, and we are always happy to do these. We've got several banked. But if you want to make a listener request, tell us about a book club that you want us to read or that you want to read with us, uh, go ahead and submit that. You can do so in any way. Uh, the way we are most uh looking to to uh accept these listener requests is by uh our discord followers so if you're on our discord server there'll be a link to that in the description you can join us take part in these conversations and make a request for us to do a book club down the road any other way that you put out that request will accept it but discord is where it's at when it comes to those requests for us now let's dive into this book and let's start Well, let's start where it starts, Uh, and it starts with this conversation between Machine Man, Aaron Stack, and Uatu the Watcher, but neither one of these characters is as we're used to them, and I think that it sets a precedence for what this book is going to be like, because this does take place many years beyond whatever was going on in Marvel Comics at this time, um and pretty much everyone is different as a result of that passage of time and the things that have happened we're going to see these two talk a lot throughout the book then the driving narration is these two characters how did you guys feel about their their general interactions and the fact that they were the focal point of the narration throughout the story that
3: was the thing that really turned me off hmm. Um, because I, when Phil was saying earlier that there are two threads, there's the cap stuff and there's the read stuff. Um, I think the other major thread is the Uatu, uh, X52 or Aaron stuff. And I think a lot of that stuff was actively not good. Um, like the actual conversations between them of them kind of like, you know, like debating um, the, merit, uh, the merits of humanity and the relevance of one man's actions and all those sorts of things those concepts are interesting and some of their conversations are interesting and well written but like I'm right there with Kale where like Jesus fucking Christ there is way way too much exposition in this book especially not reading it month to month like reading it as a collected it's like yeah no no I, I know I know, I remember, I I just read that. I don't need you to spend three pages recapping this again for me. Or, like, I don't need two pages recapping a character's history that, like... If you're gonna tell me about the new elements, about what's different about this Peter Parker and this Reed Richards and this Tony Stark, great. But, like, to give me, like, a page-long exposition about who Iron Man is, like, I don't need that. And, like, I don't think it adds anything... And I think it actively, like, for me, got in the way of my enjoyment of the book in some ways because I thought the book wasn't – like, I thought pacing was its biggest issue because they spend so much time expositing things that if you're someone who knows the Marvel Universe at all, like, you have an idea of a lot of it anyway. Um, So I would rather it focus on the things that are different and, like, the story that's actually at hand rather than, like, so much exposition. Um, and it's not just their captions, which there are so many of. It's also like the last issue, there's like three pages of them talking, and it's like every panel is just filled with bubbles, you know? it's There's so much text here to say things that I already know or I feel like you've already told me.
2: Plus the six pages of actual prose text that is their conversation at the end of each issue.
3: And the first page of every book as the recap.
2: Yeah. It's like, I get it. And the two pages of character introductions in every issue.
4: My friends, this isn't a story of mere mortal men, no. This is a story that is grandiose. And so when you have a story like that, you need a knight and you need death. Like, in the narrative of the Seventh Seal. And that worked really well for me here. We have a story about, you know what is metaphysical and, and life and death with stuff with like the Asgardians. And we have a story about celestials themselves. So when one of your narrators is a character who always watches, but can't intervene, I have no store. I have no, I have no issue with, with having these two characters exposit like they do, because it, it makes it feel like it's a story of legend. And that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, and I think that's satisfying if you're a long time Marvel reader, because it takes its time establishing what makes every, what how basically, uh, the creative team, uh, has fast forwarded everything, but reduced all of our core characters to their found, like their foundational structure.
1: So I, I agree with that. And I, uh- I think the, the one of the reasons why for me I, I had such mixed feelings about the the narration was because I appreciated like I don't have as as extensive a knowledge of the Marvel universe and so for me those first couple pages every issue was was interesting to me and I, and I agree with that point that you know this is coming from Watu and the conversation uh with X51 and like that that to me was interesting but then what rolled out afterwards where they continued to talk about the story itself versus sometimes presenting us with certain moments and then the to Pete's point on the pacing, like when they got into the actual action of things, sometimes they would show something in like one in like a page and then they wouldn't linger on a specific detail or things would happen quickly before going to the next page and then resolving that quickly and continuing to do so before returning back to what seemed like what the team wanted to to the story that this team wanted to tell, which was that continued exposition from the uh, from our two actors there, and mm. I like that was it was a little frustrating because I would have much rather have have seen this that stuff sort of play out, um, like with maybe I mean to to Pete's point, like just like emptier space on the panels, like to to have let the art breathe a little. I think that was the the other thing from the art perspective is that the panels didn't always let the art breathe. And that to me was, was a bit frustrating because you did have to sit through multiple, multiple text boxes and bubbles on a single panel or page that we could sort of see what was happening, but was trying to serve also this other story that I think could have been better served had it happened in the immediate dialogue than the narration.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess I see where you guys are coming from, but I, I thought that those, especially the ones where they were introducing characters uh, like Captain America or Iron Man, I, I felt like those were very, very well written and showed that Jim Kruger or, or Alex Ross, whoever, I know Kruger wrote it, but whoever dictated the, the, what would be said in those pages had a very strong understanding Of who these characters are. And I actually thought that there were some times. Where they did this. Where it was totally necessary. Uh, A character like Namor for example. Is somebody whose importance. In Marvel. Is understated. You know. Given his history. Given how long he's been around. Given what he means in Marvel comics. He's not really that featured. Um, He pops in and out of relevance. So I I thought that the, the. like, in cases like that, it was very, very good. The case of uh, Black Panther and the history of them, I, I feel like the the book needed it. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I thought those were strong, and I also really enjoyed what the conversations between uh, X-51 and Uatu signified. You know, Uatu is trying to remove the humanity from X-51, right? He's trying to get him to let go of his humanity, but that humanity is programmed in him, right? It's not even real necessarily, but it is to him, and that is a meta-conversation about everything in the book. Watsu is constantly telling him good, evil, those concepts are not real. They're human creations, Um, but they are real to humans that makes them real. That's the same thing that's going on with the Asgardians. The Asgardians are blobs, right? We made them real through our belief in them. And that's what we do for everything. And I think that that's so fascinating. And I (laughs) love that that. Right. Totally. Absolutely. Phil, thank you. And I love that that played out. And I think it needed to be told through these two characters, and I, I think the thing that frustrates me as I,
3: – I feel like I'm pretty squarely in the middle of the two extremes of this conversation because I agree with you in principle. Like I liked the uh, – I also liked the section where they are expositing on Namor. It was the third, fourth, fifth time that we went through it where I was just like, all right, let's fucking go already. Um, and, and I think that's where I'm frustrated is like I really don't think this book needed to be nearly this long. Um, because I think there's like a lot of beats that, to me, felt like they were getting retread. You know, um, such as. But like I, I liked those devices in moderation. But I, we, I didn't feel like we got moderation
1: enough. Hmm. Interesting. I thought, um, <laughs> I thought the book might have needed to have been longer to address some issues, like some of the <laughs> issues that get talked about, because of all of the of all the text that you get in every issue up front as well as the text that is just text at the end that could have mm. been conversation, but at the same time to, to what I mentioned earlier, could have given some of the art and pacing room to breathe so that mm. we could, we could like delve over certain, like certain situations. Like I'm, I'm reminded of the, the Scott Summer stuff. Like he, he appears in like maybe four pages, but he has this whole arc from he's wandering the street he has to he's staying there to protect Gene and then he comes in with the new X-Men and there's like I feel like there's a lot that could be could, could have continued to have been explored that could have probably served the story a little bit a little bit more that um, I think would have been for, for a number of, of these uh, like individual characters probably would have been helpful uh, just like as like additional context which why I think it could have been a little bit longer
0: I felt like I got everything I needed to know about Scott. I think it's his story was actually one of the ones that I thought was amazing. Um, he's the first and last X-Man, you know, and when when the X-Men fall apart and there's nothing left, Scott's still there and he refuses to leave Earth. He could have dipped, but he won't do it um, because the dream is still alive in him. And I think that that is so important to this story that he's still a believer even though the rest of the earth seems to not be um i think that's critical and that he restarts the x men
1: so you're uh, but, saying
0: he's x the first man
1: but, <laughs> but i think but I, I think mean, like to, sorry d- j- just to that i yeah. think like he he he, he doesn't leave because of Gene. and like like that gets that he directly says that when um call it the star jammers come down as like yo we can save you like Come, on. he's like no, but Jean, yeah. and then the only reason he he forms the X Men is because they attack him because Rogers told them to. Like he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't Cat looking. Really for them. reforms them, <laughs> yeah. Not really reforms them. He's just he. It, they they cross his path. He's like, who the fuck are you guys? And he's like, well, we have we were told to come here because you could train us to become the X Men, and then he's just kind of just like, okay, <laughs> and and it only happens across like four or five pages, which is which is my issue. To to your point, I think it could have been made bigger had it been longer and we had focused on that
0: well this this book features every character and i think that you have to do a little bit of work yourself like scott summers if you know him right you know what's going through his mind when he has this opportunity to rebuild the x-men you know
3: Yeah, and you're right about that, but I think that plays back into, I think the thing that, like, me and Marco and Kale have all harped on a little bit now, where it's like, I would rather they show me more of Scott than give me a background on, that I don't need on, like, Tony Stark. Of, like, the Iron Man, and here's how he became the Iron Man, and what it means, and it's like, well, to your point, like, if you know Tony Stark, you know those things, and you don't need them, like, spelled out for you. And I felt like, um, Scott... Scott and I also felt this way about Peter Parker, uh, where it's like they have an arc, but they're very much like just kind of existing in the margins until they need to do a thing in the story. And like I'd rather spend more time with those characters and understand how and why they're different and who they are today and why that matters today rather than get a recap of a history that I'm pretty intimately familiar with. That's
4: not the story, though. Like they exist in the margins for a reason. And granted, they have that – They'll have beats uh, in the narrative that have payoffs, but really they exist exist more so as sort of flavor for what's going on here, you know? That's fair. Like, you don't need to know everything about what Scott Summers is doing. Uh, That's not really the point. You don't need to know... yeah, I mean, th- th- we're really focusing on major players here. They exist in the margins, spe- mainly a because of your pre-existing familiarity with them. But again, they're side characters.
2: Yeah, but I,
3: it's like, why even focus on them at all? Then, like, and I think with with Scott, like, there's a clear narrative reason for him to be a player in the story. So why isn't he more of an actor? Like, there's so much time spent on characters who are like you know, the narrator is like sitting around talking.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about some of those major players. And let's start with Captain America because I think this book, you know, if you're looking at who the main characters are, I think he's probably the number one as far as the heroes are concerned. And you think? Yeah. Huh.
2: Who, who do you think it is? <laughs> I feel like Reed. I would...
0: I I think Reed's a solid number two. Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, interesting cap. So this, the 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 big thing with him is that he's no longer an Avenger. The Avengers are dead, and Captain America doesn't want to be associated with that anymore. He feels like. He did something wrong by killing the Red Skull. And the world has fallen apart around him. The America that he lived for and represented is no more. And, you know, the, the early on in the story, he's fighting off this Hydra, right? And he's so close to giving into it. And I saw so much of, I saw so much of like our world, our current world in this story. Sure. And so much of that was reflected in Cap. What is the place of a person who hangs on to what their beliefs are, these beliefs that shaped and molded them entirely um, in, in the face of a world that has changed, a world that has moved beyond them? And it's not good or bad. Like the wor- I mean, the world is worse. The world is worse than it was... In Captain America's heyday, when the Avengers were, you know, awesome. The world has changed. It's not as good. But what is his responsibility there, given that he is the sentinel of liberty? Does that... Is there still a place for that anymore? Yeah. What does that mean in this world?
3: Yeah, I mean, he was, I thought, a really compelling character. Uh, He's so tragic. You know, like, I think just even the, the... I think it's the first issue where um, he's going on that mission and, you know, like Tony and all of the other people are kind of talking about him like he's like a liability, um, you know, and it's like, oh, like, did you guys run into any problems? I, I forget the guy who's his partner, uh, his name Red, Red, Red. Wing. That, Red he was yeah. cool. Yeah. His, his costume was sick. Oh, um, Wyatt Wingfoot. Yeah. Wyatt was like the same thing that always happens. You know, and it's like Cap, like, sitting there, like, with his head in his hands, like, you know, broken man. And um, that's a really hard place to see Captain America, I think, of all characters. You know, like, I think there's so many stories of, like, Peter Parker and Reed Richards getting dr- drugged through the mud. You know, um, I've seen them beaten down and broken. I don't feel like you usually see Cap that way. Uh, so I that worked for me quite a bit.
4: I didn't see this before, but Cale mentioned on the uh, at the beginning of the episode this being a poor man's Kingdom Come. And thinking about it now, I think there's a clear, comparable character arc of Mark Wade's Superman in Kingdom yeah. Come, and in what's happening with Cap here. Similarly, similarly. You know that's a book about like a new age of heroes and the valley of they pulled. Mm-hmm. This is a story about what if everyone on the planet had superpowers? How would the people that had powers fit in? Would they still be special and Captain America here personifies being the biggest relic of all of them in that sense. you know, in a bygone era, everyone wanted to run for president, and he says no, and they reject him for it. And it's like when the world rejects him for not wanting to run for president, you know, he's left in the dust. Uh, He has no... it, It feels like he has no agency until someone comes, you know, someone takes up a mantle of an old foe.
0: It also opens the door for the worst possible person to be the president. You know, Cap saying no... Makes room for Norman Osborn to say yes. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, We're worse
4: people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know, I I saw a lot of similarities, you know, between Norman Osborn and like our our current version of Norman Osborn in the White House. Uh, well, that
2: was- weirdly, that's an insult to the Green Goblin. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um- I was trying to find the page while you were talking about that, Sean. I remember you brought up that there was, like, the point about there being a lot of parallels to our current America. Uh, The scene at the end where Captain America is talking about, like, America, basically, um, that really struck a chord with me um where he's saying we've forgotten our need for each other and i emphasize the word need if, if uh, we have acted as if we uh, as if the new power gained from the mutation of mankind was a reason to quit looking out for each other that it was somehow the death of dependency but if we slay our dependency on each other we also sacrifice democracy we must never forget that this country was founded upon the belief that different people regardless of race creed age gender can live together in a united state of peace um and he says uh You need to look for the need, see the need in yourself and see the need in your fellow citizens. And that, that really struck a chord with me in a time where like, I feel like, you know, we're more divided than ever, you know, it's so, um, us versus them. And them is literally anybody. That's not you.
1: I, um, I think the, the best part about that is the way that it also gets represented visually because of the Toga. Um, it, 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 feels like for him he he's gone away from like the war sort of stylings that he came up on, right? And he's sort of come to uh, it, it. It reflected like a return to his idea of a democracy to like the the, the Greeks, the Romans. Um, especially yeah. when when he said that last piece, the um, like blind justice has the has the toga as well. And I imagine mm-hmm. that uh, he gets a lot more air compared to those tight compression shorts. So gun on him. Oh, he's still wearing pants. Oh, was he? Yeah. I just just imagined he had a toga.
3: (laughs) I I really like that last shot of him, too, where, like, he's up, like, as the torch is being lit and, like, you can just see him, like, standing with the shield and... Like he's got the golden light behind him and everything. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's a powerful moment. It,
4: it felt emblematic. I think I'm pretty sure this quote was kind of referenced here, but the the part in uh, Daredevil: Born Again where he, he talks about the priority being the dream more so than anything else.
1: Hmm. Oh, the one thing that I think, since we were talking about like the the two stories earlier or the three stories rather, like the. It, it it frustrated me a little bit that the Captain America, like like the smaller quote unquote story, ultimately compared to the message of the larger story, kind of eclipses the the Captain the Captain America and like the Scott and the Iron Man narrative because those actions had had at the end of the day they not found a way, right, would have not mattered and I think also talks to that uh, the, the conversation that's being had about what actually is and what isn't and the existence of, of, uh, of humanity and how things would be different because things just iterate on each other um, so I, 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 think, I think I find myself a little frustrated having gone through some of that story, having gone through the story at the start for it to feel like had things not been resolved, it wouldn't have mattered. Um,
4: That's not true though, Marco. Um, The Steve Rogers stories is what, you know, personifies the Reed Richards story. um, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but you know, everything that happens with the celestials and, and why people do what they do on the earth and, and how everything serves a greater celestial purpose Everything Steve Rogers does, especially with, like, his conflict with, like, the Hydra, the very essence of a group-thinking entity, represents, like, the human spirit and human will and what separates them from serving a divine purpose, like,
1: toward the Celestials or whatever. One kind of
4: befits the other in the narrative.
1: Just quickly, I I think, for for me, I kind of aligned on the the, uh, Uatu side of it, where, like, this is just humanity for now, like... The, 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 idea that <laughs> the, the beat wins. Mutons- so. Marco, I just
3: really want to point out again that you, uh, as you have many times on the show, are clearly identifying with the character who is explicitly the bad
2: guy. (laughs) He's not. He's just right. No, Marco. Hold on, Pete. No, he's not right. There's no good and there's no evil, Pete. He says that. It's in the text. You're right.
3: He does say that. And then the entire conceit of the book is that he was saying that to serve his own selfish desires. (laughs) That's not evil. Because he was afraid of dying. Yeah,
0: well, that's not evil. Let's let uh, Marco finish this part.
1: <laughs> he he's right we're like like, like the the <laughs> idea was that the mutants would become the next iteration have right to, sean Keep yeah, on, Keep it.
4: on.
1: He, he he's the, the the mutants were the next iteration of humanity like we're no longer we're no longer talking about humans everything that we're talking about is in the context of mutants, or at least it should be right but in humans it are in humans rather um and the so, like, humanity as as the core concept remained through the transformation, but that's only that transformation being now, right? Because he, he, Uatu, like, considers time over billions of years, not thousands. So, that was it. But that's...
3: Yeah, but I, I think that, like, that, that like, is is attributing, quote-unquote, humanity to humans, and that's not the point of the book. Like, X-51 is a, quote-unquote human like he thinks and feels and sees good and evil and like I think the the whole it's not Uatu versus humanity it's Uatu versus life it's he's like oh you're like you're like sentient life of your level doesn't matter
0: Sean, what were you thinking so what I was going to say is that Captain America is representative of Humanity itself. And what he's fighting for is just in the sense that if Uwatu has his way, humanity will cease to exist, which is different than them just evolving. No one's problem was necessarily the evolution of humanity. Well, I guess that was Reed's problem. And that's one of the things that the book is about. But that's not what. Who or the Celestials are are looking for? They're not trying to drive humanity forward; they're trying to end it, and that's the issue. Um, beyond that, humanity has evolved, and that's accepted towards the end. But at the at, at the same time, if if Cap fails, right, and the Celestials don't win, like that would have happened anyway. What happens with the Celestials in Uatu is unavoidable because that's the fate of humanity, right, is to eventually have to deal with this threat. But everything Mm -hmm. that has come before this moment, including the stuff that happens in this book, is important for humanity to be able to win in the end. Um, Because if the Avengers don't exist, right, which is how they were trying to build the threads with Loki's relevance to humanity and how he's ultimately kind of good. Because if the Avengers never exist, if Spider-Man never exists, if, 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 then in this moment, they lose.
3: Yeah. I liked liked Loki's role a lot. And I thought it was great in the point where he's, like, the one who rallies the Asgardians to, like, save, you know, Earth. And then, like, I like how he's like, oh, do I have to be the villain again? Fine.
0: Like, whatever. He's like, that's my role to play. But, like, you need me. I want to... Take this opportunity to establish exactly for anyone who is listening that didn't read it or is listening and maybe was not clear because I think it's possible to be unclear about what was going on um, exactly what the agenda was so what we've learned throughout the book is that the earth is a celestial seed basically like a like almost man. like a, like a celestial in and of itself and like a
2: god come.
0: Wow! <laughs> sure, and it's going to be born basically, and then when that happens, boom—you know, pop goes Earth and everyone on it—and <laughs> that was the ultimate agenda. And humans were the defense of this celestial yet to be. Um, go ahead, Phil.
4: I love that so
0: much, Dude, Yes, Man, that was cool. Yes, oh. absolutely.
4: Yeah, it was so satisfying from like a narrative perspective, where it's like we reap our own destruction. Mm-hmm. Like, um, is that is that not so? Uh, not on, it's, it's so on the nose of like what feels like what's happening in the real world. Like uh, our own, you know, our power in real life is our our cognitive ability to think and everything. And in doing so, it's like ushering in our own destruction with things like climate change or whatever. And so that enlightenment in this book is 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 more comic sized, which I love, which is we humans are given abilities far beyond those of normal men, in that we, <laughs> we have to protect the egg that will destroy all of us one day. There's like an almost like, Reaper thing going on, like, in Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> where, like... Life Don't spoil it. Yeah, well, that, that there you have it, folks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you get it, you get it. Yep. <laughs> so, I want to pivot and get back to the character focus, because I do think it's important to establish where everyone's coming from. And we talked about Cap and his role. I think it's equally as important to talk about Reed who is one of the other major players in this story and the fantastic four and their story, the fantastic four. I don't even think that there's an allegory for them in DC in terms of what they mean for Marvel. They represent the expansion of humanity into the stars. They represent family. They are Marvel's first family. And this book was very respectful of that in the sense that it placed importance upon them, but it also completely ravaged them. And that was hard to watch. Seeing seeing the history... That was the thing I thought you would hate. <laughs> seeing the history of how we got to where Reed is, where Reed is wearing Doom's armor, which is a shocking thing for any fan of the Fantastic Four, seeing how um, Johnny died and how Sue presumably died. And Ben just kind of goes like, all right, well, I'm just going to live a regular life. Um, it was hard. That was hard. That was the first time where I was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. When, when, when Johnny dies, when Johnny dies at the hands of Namor. And again, that importance for him to die at the hands of Namor, who's almost like an adjacent member to the team, who's had such a tumultuous relationship with them, that really, really, really sucked
4: the water extinguishes the flame on the, the the way that they tied
3: that back to how Johnny had found him in New York and like saved him. And it was like, Mm -hmm. if he had never done that, he wouldn't have died. And it's like the, the, the way that they play your emotions to those characters to make that scene work, but also the way that it speaks about how the book is about the echoes of our actions Right and like what, like what can one man really accomplish? Right. And it's like, well, a hell of a lot actually.
4: But also, you guys have to appreciate the meta thing that's taking place here. Um, th- this book is a celebration of comics, and the fact that it's Namor who kills the Human Torch, and half his body is I was just gonna af- say that set aflame, flame. It ties back to some of the very first Marvel comics, uh, Marvel mystery. Comics number nine from 1940 is the original Human Torch who was an android fighting Namor. Yep. Two, the very two first Marvel characters, and this yep. puts that on a pedestal because you know Alex Ross just clearly celebrates comics, particularly Marvel comics, but right? DC too. <laughs> he loves DC like Kingdom Come.
3: Sure, right? Yeah, that's true. Um. Yeah, that- I, I, I really dug. I really dug the relevance of Namor in this book. Like, it felt like he got appropriate. Because uh, we talked about how this, like, it's really, like, it puts a lot of the Marvel characters up on a pedestal. Um, and it was cool that I feel like Namor got that same level of attention.
1: It reminded me of uh, Marvels itself, which, like, Alex Ross also mm-hmm. participated in earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, the, yeah. the, the way that they sort of chronicled that was, uh, was really cool.
0: So... To, to speak on, on Reed and, and Reed's journey. Reed, I feel like, in so many stories after this, is played the villain. And I was so afraid that this was going to do that. But this book really isn't... Like Uatu says, oh, there there is no good and evil. And we know that that's not the case. But this book doesn't really try to put people in boxes. It very much says... Well, Namor's done a lot of bad stuff, but he's also done good stuff. Loki, all his bad stuff was actually kind of good. I, I really appreciated that about the story. And Reed not ultimately being wholly responsible for the inhuman transformation of everyone on Earth, I liked. But more than that, I liked that it didn't, Reed didn't just become a monster after that. He, he still endeavored to try to save everyone. There's
4: there's kind of a hackneyed quality of turning Reed into a villain all the time. It, it, it feels sort of uh, reminiscent to trying to make Superman a villain all the, all the time, where it's like, let's take the strongest man and the most moral man and make him a villain in the same breath of saying, let's take the most intellectually brilliant man, and let's have, absolute, again, the absolute power corrupts thing, which can be really lazy when it's done a lot. So, I like how it kind of takes it kind of takes like a, a B science fiction angle here, where it's like the brilliant scientist believes he messed up, and is paralyzed by grief, but doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do until the Inhumans show up, and you know pe- uh, the pieces start to move here. Uh I agree with you because once once Reed has the agency that's when the larger plot plays out and that's important because we need Reed to be our, our even though he's the smartest person he we're figuring things out with him.
3: Yeah. That was why I felt like he was the that's why he felt like the main character to me. Um as much as I, I i totally hear what you guys are saying about cap's journey and like his relevance to i think the overall action of the plot um reed was the character i found myself like rooting for the most where like i i i'm not um i'm not wholly against the idea of the the reed as a villain thing like i think the ultimate universe did a really good job of establishing him as a beloved character and then having his fall from grace feel really heavy um but it is definitely like a well-worn thing at this point point. and i was i agree with you sean where like i was kind of afraid that's where it was gonna go and i liked that they rather than kind of like leaning into oh what happens when reed loses everything you know and, and he has nothing you know he becomes cold or whatever right his cold intellectual side takes over and he becomes a monster um and sure there's something to that i guess but what I liked about this was it was it felt more representative of I don't know how I feel like a lot of people actually deal with grief, right? Where it's like in the real world, you know, you're when you lose someone really close to you, like most people just keep going. They just keep trudging along, you know, and like that's what it felt like he was doing. Like he's locked himself off from the world for 10 years. He's, you know, shut up in in his greatest enemies castle trying to find a way to atone for a sin that he wasn't even responsible for and like that that worked for me like it, it felt very just poetically tragic and i think like that's what this book is good at in terms of the way it portrays those characters is it doesn't like try to just drag them through the mud or like just have you watch a bunch of grief porn of like, you know, look how much it hurts Reed to lose Sue. It's like it's more like, okay, so you you've experienced this loss, what do you do with it? Do you go inward and, and isolate and and like wallow in guilt and you know and regret? Or like do you do you like rise above that and try to you know, try to reclaim some part of yourself and you know, and, and still be an actor and still be a contributor for good.
0: Well, this story is very much about the enduring spirit of humanity and Reed and cap represent that very, very well. They both have suffered tremendous loss cap, the loss of the relevance of his ideals and Reed in his family. The two things that define those characters the most are taken from them uh, and they don't give up you know at least not not fully not entirely and uh, i think that that says so much about the story of superheroes it is endurance you know um batman becomes a bat <laughs> instead of giving up when his when his you know parents are killed and i really love seeing that play out here with characters who aren't necessarily always tested in that way uh in the regular books and i love reed as a scientist who maybe does go too far sometimes, but he always has the best intentions. That's my Reed Richards, and this book gave me my Reed Richards. Um, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about him more going forward. I wanted to talk about issue one and a half. I really, really loved issue one and a half. It
3: was a, It was definitely a fun diversion. Um. I, I I like a good like bottle comic and this felt like a good a good like usage of that in the way that like the entire thing is just like the Nick Fury narration and like the ultimate takeaway is like oh this is an LMD, okay. Like I, I I liked that bait and switch. You know, that that felt like a, a worthwhile reveal.
0: I I like the way they 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 used that to reveal this new red skull. Um, It was a little bit um, telegraphed. If you know Nick Fury, it's pretty easy to guess that he was not the real Nick Fury. But again, the early issues, in my opinion, do such a good job of introducing you and bringing you into this world that is not the Marvel that you know. Um, I don't know exactly what the comics were like at the time that this was being released, but I know what they're like now and this is as dark as they've ever been and nick fury is someone who has always stood up front to protect humanity from the threats both inward and out and so for him to just be out of the picture the way he is um and the way that they the way that they revealed that i thought that was really well done
4: yeah uh the last <laughs> the last page yeah, <laughs> got this manic smile with the
2: cigar hanging out of him, and not much else.
0: Yep. yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed that.
1: Huh. My my edition didn't have that. Yeah, I was gonna say the the one I got read in uh, Kamisaji, I didn't didn't have this issue.
0: Huh. Oh, bummer. Well, maybe you guys can go back and check that out if you want, because I I I thought it was really good. Um, it is a diversion but again it, it the, the biggest thing you get out of it is how it introduces the new red skull. Mm. Okay. Uh the other the other major group that's worth talking about is the Inhumans who I think have a very weird relationship to the rest of Marvel. Uh a lot of fans do not like the Inhumans. That's <laughs> like that's the vibe that I got through the throughout the 2010s when Marvel was very much trying to make them worth something and to make people care and people just kind of didn't care.
3: I feel like they had that baggage of like them wanting them to be the replacement for the X-Men and I feel mm-hmm. like fans were just like no. It's not the same.
1: Um, I, I I disagree. Get-
4: Everyone loved the TV show, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's the most successful piece of MCU content, right? Sorry, Marco.
2: Well, it led to that movie that definitely came out where Vin Diesel was Black Bolt. <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> oh, damn! I, that would have been perfect. He wouldn't have had to talk. So I, I, I think one of the, the, the things with the Inhumans is like I did I didn't understand their difference. They felt like space mutants. Mm. They yeah, kind of are. I mean, yeah, uh, that's basically what they are. All right, I get it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah the the mutant inhuman relationship in comics is definitely weird i think this book did a really good job of establishing how the inhumans make sense in their relationship to humanity um but also some of the differences between them i also thought it was interesting that and i noticed this a, a couple of a few times that that Creators have stolen from this book to tell yeah. stories. I, yeah.
2: I was gonna make that same joke about uh Charles Sewell stealing the yes. uh, uh the Terrigen Mist bomb.
0: Well that uh correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that happen in Infinity? Is that Hickman? Yeah. Hickman I think it's Sewell. Sewell must have carried yes, it out. There. Yes, he's the okay. Yeah, he was the one who got to tell that story. Um but I'm a I'm a fan of the Inhumans. I like the Inhumans quite a bit, and I I really liked their role here. I like them being a part of this story. I don't feel like you can tell the story of Marvel without them. Uh, I wished that Black Bolt got to do a little bit more, although his his yeah. eventual big moment was I thought was phenomenal. I thought that was so cool.
4: He so back me up. Yeah, I was about to say he typically has like the, you know, if you're gonna make like a short list of 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 characters with like some of the baddest fucking moments in comics, yeah. my man Black Bolt's in the top five easy, especially when it's not like easy. a uh, not like a Superman Batman level character. Like Black mm. Bolt's whole gimmick is I'm quiet, I'm stoic, I'm a wise king, and now I'm gonna go ruin half an ecosystem <laughs> by saying one syllable.
3: That's, yeah, I mean, like, that's, like, the coolest thing about him in a story is I feel like he's a smoking gun, you know? Like, it's you're just, like, waiting for when it's going to happen. Like, you know he's going to do something – he's going to eventually talk and shit is going to go south or, or, in this case, the exact opposite. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I very much agree with you where I liked his moment, but I felt like there was so much mystique around why he was – acting the way he was and why he was like so cold and distant and um, I wish that I wish there had been a little bit more for him to do
0: Black Bolt's traditionally a tough character because he can't talk uh, and a he lot of his wife Right, a lot of times he'll talk to his wife there will be some sort of uh, telepath who can speak his words for him read his mind like Charles Xavier in, in the Illuminati um, so yeah he, he's tough in that way I, I think Is Medusa a telepath? How does she talk to him? Because of... her hair. <laughs> whoever <laughs> That was good. His wives have, have direct <laughs> access to his brain.
2: Okay oh, stop telling my pubes you want a glass of milk <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Wow <laughs>
0: Uh, let's talk about Tony let's talk My about man's Tony I a Stark. bad
2: one huh <laughs> bro <laughs> I, love, I love a good iron diaper I don't
3: <laughs> Tony Stark is straight up not having a good time heard of the iron in this one. story <laughs>
4: well how about the iron diaper
0: for me Tony was was probably the saddest story because he was a shell of himself he was you know Tony you know him to be so confident and so powerful especially now like if you look at the the way he is now you know how we've seen him in all these movies and stuff the character that we are familiar with this is almost the opposite of that he's very very much turned inward you know when you talk about the way that people handle their grief or their pain he said Screw this. I'm going to build an iron prison for myself. But at the same time, one of the things that this book is really about is freedom and what that actually means and what a lack of freedom is. In the beginning of the book, and I'm going to tie this all around Iron Man, in the beginning of the book, we get the Hydra, right, which is just this blob that sucks people in. But it can only do it. At least that's what I got out of it. It can only do it if you if you are willing to mm-hmm. be a part yeah. of it. Get to acquiesce exactly. And we saw how Cap almost did it, not because you know he just wants to be down with Hydra, but because it would be freeing to not have to be a person. You know, <clears> yeah, <cow's> existence. Um- <laughs> oh, man, that's a dream.
2: Just let me not be a
0: person for Just five goddamn Just let God me slip away minutes. already,
2: Jesus.
0: <laughs> and of course, the the skull, the red, the new the new skull represents a similar thing, but that's not by choice. You don't have the ability or the autonomy to choose to be taken. He takes you, and you have to live with that, which he is sucks. Yeah, that's completely awful. But Iron Man is choosing to basically exist in his cage. And be free from judgment, free from any type of ex- external responsibility, but still have the ability to kind of do what he wants to do. So he's not the Hydra, but he's also not the Skull. And I thought he represented a very interesting place of of like, he's still doing Iron Man stuff in a way, but he's doing it completely on his own terms. And he chooses to align himself with Norman Osborn so that he can have the resources to do what he wants to do, but not have to really work for it. Right. I dug that.
1: He's a staunch businessman and inventor. <laughs> That's. <laughs> he needs the money. need the to cash money if you want to Marco, build stuff.
3: You. I am convinced more and more every day that you are an alien or a robot. I'm a super villain. That is villain.
1: so not the point of that character. Arc. It wasn't, but I like that aspect of it.
0: <laughs> Did anyone else but, have? Yeah, go ahead.
1: I, but but I do agree. Like <laughs> the, the the way that he he does portray freedom, I, I especially like the panel where he like finally breaks out. And he's like he freaks out for a second that he's been like contaminated and whatnot, mm-hmm. but uh, then he steps out. He's like, oh, I'm alive, and then uh, he doesn't yet realize that he has like that piece of metal, like that's been driven through his body. Mm, he looks up yeah. and like the butterflies are there, uh, and that's like a that's just like a nice quiet moment before he realizes that oh, he's he, he's he's free on the level of he's he's outside of the of the cage. He's back in like the sunlight, but then he's free to now like rest.
3: Right. Yeah. What's the? It's like. The- I liked how that tied to the the point with that X uh fifty two keeps making or Aaron, I I should call him. Uh about how it's not it's about like how you die is what matters, not that you died and Tony dies as Iron Man.
4: Yeah. Um it it, it really raises the existential question of what is it to be free and what is freedom? Oh, Literally fuck. Tony is in a cage of his own creating because of a pandemic that's sweeping across the planet. <laughs> and imagine that. And we look around and we have one hive mind organism that you can willingly submit to and not be a person. We have someone else who is the most powerful telepath on the planet, so so much so that's led to the death of every other telepath on the planet who forcefully Controls you, and then meanwhile, it, pretty much any semblancy of a state has been dissolved. And Norman Osborn, albeit the most powerful figure in the country, there is no real government anymore. There's no Congress. You know, America's run by wealthy corporations, and if you don't really benefit their uh, pocket, you know, you, you get what happens with like the Daredevil Circus type of hellscape situation. Uh so Tony, like Steve, is clasping to like a higher ideal and in Tony's mm-hmm. case it involves being in a literal prison. And when he escapes the cave and you know, dies, only then does he know freedom. Exactly.
0: There's a there's a book by a philosopher named Eric Fromm. No. And it's called (laughs) Escape from Freedom. And it's it's about a lot of things. But the essential point is that there are two different kinds of freedom. There's freedom from and freedom to. And so just really fast the book talks about how when slavery ended, slaves were free from slavery, but they weren't necessarily free to do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have the same kinds of freedoms as everyone else did. And so a lot of slaves actually went right back into slavery because their captivity, their slavery was better than the lack of freedom that they had under the guise of freedom sharecropping right I liken that to the Hydra these people who you consider to be like you know the pantheons of of humanity you know She-Hulk was in there She-Hulk is super powerful sorry Falcon Falcon was in there Captain America almost chose to go in there you know um they did not feel Sharon Carter too, right? Sorry. Sharon Carter was in there too, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sharon Carter yeah. was definitely in there. Um, but yeah. So there's there's a lot of freedom talk in this book and I love how that was exemplified in Iron Man and you know, I think it's important to keep that in mind uh throughout this conversation. The humans choose freedom in the end. And that doesn't mean you know, eternal peace. It just means that they're not going to have overlords. You know, their destiny is not going to be set. So, yeah. love that. Uh, let's let's talk a little more about the Celestials in this in this book. I really love their involvement. I don't see them much. They don't really appear a lot in Marvel comics, but whenever they do, it's super important. Mm. Phil, why don't you talk about that?
4: Celestials are assholes, dude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they suck so nice. hard. I
3: fucking hate every cosmic being in Marvel. They're all such assholes.
4: <laughs> um, well, the Celestials are as old as time itself. Uh, They're the great engineers of like all life in the universe, basically. And what this book posits is it's done so with a greater purpose. It's done so to engineer more Celestials. And that shit fucking slapped. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right, they don't appear very often. Um, And so, I mean, as such... It's kind of like the one above all. How often does that, like, god concept appear? And it's something that can't be abused very often. Even in some of the greatest, you know, cosmic stories ever, there are no Celestials, and for good reason. Um... What I really like is how they really maintain their integrity of looking like Jack Kirby Celestials. Like even when they're around, yeah. there are Kirby dots everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's like it's like to me Celestials embody like the very spirit of Silver Age Marvel. Uh, they like they like represent, uh, like the creation of Marvel in a way, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think. You know, in a lot of ways, in this book, they're literally that.
4: Right. Uh, Also, just in general, like, I remember reading Annihilation and thinking, like, God, it would be hype if Galactus, like, collided with some Celestials. And in this book, that shit fucking happens. And I'm like, I'm here. You want to talk about the (laughs) biggest possible climax? And yeah, maybe it makes me sound dumb. But I don't care. I want to see giant celestial entities go at it that are older than time and space.
2: Can't hear you, Marco. Wasn't saying anything. Oh, don't lie to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Phil.
4: Well, I was going to ask. I I was,
0: yeah, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, hit me, Sean. I was here for all of the celestial stuff, and. In a way, I'm not on I'm not on my marco right now, but in a way, I felt sympathetic for them in the sense that in order for them to have more of them, this is what has to happen. And Uwatsu talks about the lack of good and evil, and it's not with malice that he does so. That's his experience, right? So we understand, as human beings, how crappy it would be for us to cease to exist based on the whim of a being far beyond us, and that really sucks. But if that being far beyond you doesn't see you as relevant, but they need you to exist, and you need to die for them to ultimately continue to exist, then that's not evil.
4: There's a, there's a simple... There's a simple narrative here of 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 the need to just continue on, mm. and that's a very human experience where we need to be able to continue on, and that's what this story kind of represents, and that's true of the Celestials here, and there's an almost fate like aspect of it that plays here, which happens a lot in 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 greater cosmic stories in Marvel, uh, whereas. Basically, the, the the fate of humanity existing on again comes at the conflict of the great engineers of the universe also needing to exist onward again, uh, which, which 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 what makes Galactus's role in all this all the more interesting.
0: Oh my God! Speak
4: on it. So. Galactus is famous for eating planets, right? He needs it for his own sustenance and to carry on. This book posits that actually Galactus selects planets that have celestial eggs on them, and he eats the essence of the celestial eggs. In essence, being a celestial killer, uh, um. and and that, pot that that positions him as like the greatest threat to that existence of celestials carrying on, and so that so that Earth in the end of this is like. The final battlefields of of Galactus and the
1: Celestials. It's great. I like that Galactus was also the, he's like, uh, he's basically the hunter that's trying to you know keep keep populations in control. And, and to your point, Sean, that also like isn't inherently good or or bad. It's just the balance. It, it's the balance. It's what is in the universe that yes. that
0: is that we exist. Exactly, it nets out. It is what it is. Is is a, you know that's like the phrase that perfectly defines what Galactus is doing, what the Celestials are doing, and for us, obviously, there's so much more significance because
4: we find out sorry. why Galactus has empathy.
0: Yeah, man.
4: Oh my god, dude. That was some of the. That was like some Grant Morrison stuff.
1: That so that was that was really cool, and I I was confused by it though because I I didn't understand how there were the two Richards. I mean That's, Franklin. Sorry. Oh, uh-huh. there weren't. What? Franklin became Galactus. Yeah. But he had died. No. No. Well, Galactus died. But who was the Red Skull? that
2: was
0: some oh, other that was, kid. That was yeah, a different some, kid.
2: some other asshole. Yeah, that's, oh, that uh, wasn't
1: Franklin he, at all. No.
2: No, no.
3: no he's a, he's uh he's another he's a superheroes kid. Yeah, uh, uh I know, like, Comet Man or something. Com, I never heard Comet of him. Comet Man, the, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. then never mind. I thought I, I thought he was Franklin so I was confused that ah. when he was young and that he was like being an like a dick. I could see that. Yeah, for sure.
4: No, it just seems like Marvel always needs to have a Galactus. Galactus is, and as many comics posit, Gal- you know, Galactus is neither good or evil. It's just he's like a great equalizer in the universe. Uh, he's a force he's of nature. He's a Force of nature, and so Franklin Richards satisfies that without actually knowing who he is anymore. However, what Black Bolt shouts into space to grab his attention is just that's an excellent like cli- like moment to set up the climax. Of this story,
0: I was overwhelmed during that whole period. Um, so, just to just to you know let you guys know, um, so Black Bolt takes it upon himself to fly to confront these Celestials, and he he yells, he gives all his voice to this yell to yell out Franklin. While being disintegrated by the Celestials. Yeah. And I got, um, I don't know if this was intended or if you guys got this, I got Icarus vibes from this portion. I can see that, yeah. Totally. Um, Black Bolt is a cosmic character, and we think about him as being such a large figure, but compared to the Celestials, he was nothing. And he got obliterated. Um, But he used his last moment of inhumanity to summon what what would ultimately save humanity. And I love the fact that it was Galactus because Galactus was thought to be the end of humanity. Galactus came to Earth and started all of this almost. He was one of the first cosmic foes that Earth had to deal with. And As it turns out, he wasn't even after humans. He was after the Celestial Egg that dozens of years later would end up being the bigger threat than Galactus to humanity. I just thought that was so cool how it tied everything together.
3: Yeah, like I like that they – it felt like they kind of contextualized Galactus to me as like a brush fire. You know, like you need the small – brush fires to keep a forest floor clear or the entire fucking forest burns down. And like, that's ultimately the role he serves, right? Is like, if he doesn't curtail the expansion of the celestials, they'll, they'll expand indefinitely and destroy every fucking planet in the universe, right? Like all life in the universe, except celestials would cease to exist without Galactus. And like taking, uh, this thing that we immediately identify as a threat, um, again, like fire, right, and showing that it's just as much an actor in the the cycle of life as
0: anything else. And if you go back to that to that moment of Reed versus Galactus, you know, with when he has the ultimate nullifier. If you were to read that again after reading Earth X, it has a whole different meaning to it. You know, Uatu gives Reed the nullifier to stop Galactus, but Uatu's actually protecting his own investment, or not his investment, but his own agenda, and Reed doesn't know that, yeah. you know? Yo, fuck Uatu, bro.
3: <laughs> and now... I fucking hate that guy. Nice, Joe. Reed
0: has to <laughs> stop Galactus. You would think that. <laughs> Reed has to stop Galactus again, but now Galactus is his son. That's awesome. Amazing. That was so hard,
3: too, of, like, him wanting to, you know, remind him who he is and, like, sacrificing his son for the universe. It's just, like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, hasn't hasn't Reed lost enough?
4: No, <laughs> right. apparently. Apparently not.
3: <laughs>
0: Still got good old Ben Grimm, though. So we've talked a lot about the different characters and different things that that happen in the book and what they mean but how do you guys feel about these things that we've talked about because we started this conversation it felt like you guys were probably more on the negative end Uh, so a lot of the things that we've talked about though we seem to be into so how do you guys feel about all that that's what pisses me off is like it, it
3: on paper I dug it a lot. Like, I, lo- I like the story. I am really fascinated by these kinds of stories that take familiar iconography and and lore and everything and turn it on its head. Because as a reader, it's satisfying to be like, oh, what the fuck? Like, where is this going to go, right? Because we're in uncharted waters. Super satisfying. It's on a mechanical level where the book let me down. Hmm. Yeah, And I don't think it's because the writing is weak or the art is weak or anything. It's that like each one of them makes a small error that to me makes this feel more like in a, you know, if we're going to rate it like a high seven, mid eight range for me versus like, it could have been a nine. It could have been something that I was like, this book is fucking great. And I recommend it to everybody. And I think it's real good. But it's definitely got some problems for me um, just on a like beat-to-beat level that hampered my enjoyment of it, which sucks because I wanted to love it and I found a lot to like about it.
4: I know this yeah. question is addressed to I'm, me, I'm Sean, and this book stinks. It's bad. I hate it. What? I said his question was addressed to me and where I'm at, I think it's the worst book i ever read. It stinks. It's lousy.
1: Mm. Yeah, I can Thank like you. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I agree with Pete Like th- th- those are the exact uh, t- t- that's the exact same way that I feel about it, it the, on that mechanical level it just doesn't it it hits the moments but it it hits them in a clunky way and I think that mm. that hurts my enjoyment of it not the quality of this st- of like the overarching story
0: mm. yeah that's well put is that also where you kind of end up kale
2: yeah i'm I'm pretty lukewarm on the whole thing I think i I don't know the the celestial egg business just didn't i don't know it didn't it didn't work for me I like the stuff around it but it just didn't
0: didn't hit did you guys think that the story needed that element
3: the celestial element specifically? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh yes.
2: I think yeah. I think that's what separates it from Kingdom Come specifically. Uh because the the when I said that earlier, you know, what I was what I was specifically thinking of is, you know, we talked about the Captain America Superman parallel, but also the, you know, the the new Skull Generation going up against the old Captain America generation and they're gonna they're gonna fight to the death and that climactic battle is gonna Come to an end because a guy screams into space. But I think the the celestial level of it, that extra cosmic level that DC uh, that Marvel does, I think just a little bit. I don't want to say better, but a little bit more accessible than DC I think does. That's fair. Uh it it added another level to the story that works despite it being like the root cause of the whole thing which to me didn't hit as well
3: yeah i think it sets it apart from other similar stories you know i think there are a lot of stories of like what if the Marvel Universe kept aging? What if there was an apocalyptic event that ended the Marvel Universe? What if there was a twisted mirror version of the Marvel Universe where everyone's old and sad and dead? Like, there's so many fucking books like that, you know? Um And particularly a good number of Marvel books that are like that. So for this to have a broader cosmic implication that... I think had echoes throughout all of the other arcs and a lot of the other symbolism in the book to me, uh, I think really elevates it a lot.
4: The Celestials like tying the whole thing. It justifies the entire narrative structure of it. It's what makes it feel as big as it is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is a story about the human experience and, 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 and what freedom is. But, it's, it's done so in the most big, like, grand-scale way possible in Marvel.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's hard to tell the story of Marvel without the celestial, or without the cosmic elements. Especially because, you know, I keep referencing that, that iconic moment that we've all seen so many times of Galactus versus the Fantastic Four, the first time. And how important that is to the history of of everything, of all these characters. You know, um, this story is the heart of, of Marvel, right? Which is Captain America. Saving humanity from itself. And the mind of Marvel, Reed Richards, the intellect of Marvel, saving humanity from the threats above. And... I love that symbolism. I love that those two characters were cast in those roles, and I think it was super effective. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other characters who aren't as important. Because I do think that they also played a role and were definitely more role players than anything. And um, symbols than necessarily actors in the story. Uh, we talked a little bit about Spider Man before, but we didn't expand much. Um, I really liked Spider Man's role in this book. I really did. Uh, speak on it. Cool. So I felt like Spider Man is 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 Marvel's like kid, right? Spider Man is. You know, the youngest when when we get this explosion of characters stays young for a while. We grow up with him, and for this to be his eventual future, where he's this you know burnt out dude uh, who's given up. He's gotten big. He's gotten heavy. You know, he's gotten old. He's out the game, uh, and he doesn't believe anymore. You know, um, he's not interested in playing the hero anymore that to me represents the loss of hope that i think happens a lot of times to adults who get older stop believing in hope stop believing that good things are going to happen in their lives it's hard to have dreams and for those to not come to be that's awful and it's awful for any human to have to go through that. And a lot of times we give up. Add on to that, the fact that his wife is gone. Well, presumably both of his wives. Uh, well, Gwen was never his wife, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Gwen is gone. She's dead. Uh, <laughs> Mary Jane is gone, and he doesn't have anyone. The daughter that he has is <laughs> is fused with venom. Right? She's got the symbiote in her. That's pretty trash. I hate your Um,
4: boyfriend, daughter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But he's renewed. His hope is restored in the younger generation. His hope is restored in part by his daughter who's teaching him to believe again. Who's teaching him to have the spirit again to do what they used to do, to do what he used to do, to do what he was one of the best at. And I love May Parker as a parallel or a juxtaposition with the new Red Skull, right? Because they're both the new generation, but she's got the right idea based on history, and Skull doesn't care about history. He's clearly the absence of everything that we've learned historically to make us not do the things we used to do. He doesn't even know who Hitler is.
3: Bro, oh my god. That, like, I loved his character because of how much I fucking hated him. Because, like, he is so represent—like, again, you're talking about parallels to modern America. Like, he's like the poster child for the dumb, fucking, loud, white privilege, shitty little trust fund asshole kids that be- grow up to be the pieces of shit that run our country Wolf now. Um, he's like, oh, uh, I'm going to rule America, but I can't even name five other countries. You know, it's like, go fuck yourself. You shitty useless little kid. Did he uh like oh my god dude. Did he guys- like when Cap snapped his stupid neck I was so
4: happy. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Uh did he remind you guys of Superboy Prime at all?
0: I no. didn't think about that.
4: There's that kind of uh there's that arrogant, like his great power in in a way he's like the antithesis of Spider-Man because with great power comes zero responsibility. Right, and, and that's, like, true of Superboy Prime and Infinite Crisis as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, a, again, like, an antithesis to the values of Superman, which, you know, Spider-Man is, like, trying to be, like, a Superman-type character anyway. So, that's what I was thinking.
3: Um, my, I, Like, this is, like, one of the cheesiest lines in the book, but it definitely got a, a laugh out of me, is the part when he's, like... I'm God. And then Cap's just like, then I'm Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking great. I was like, that's hilarious. He was right. He was Nietzsche. <laughs> um, but to take it back to, to Peter for a mm. second, it's funny because like reading this, I very much thought Sean was going to um, ha- like have problems with some of the rewrites and some of the way that certain characters were portrayed or whatever. Um, because that's, like, been a a thing we've talked about in some of the other kind of, like, alternate universe stories. And I kind of felt that way about Peter in this book, where I was, like, he's so... Like, his arc is uh, good and interesting, and I think it works in the broader context of the story. um, But I felt like he felt so half-baked in terms of, like, his portrayal. And I thought some of the way that his, like uh youth was characterized, and some of the the ways that he acted like felt like they didn't ring true to me for um like who Peter is and what he's supposed to represent and everything, but in the same way that um in the same way that I think like Read was broken down in uh, Spider-Man Life Story, which was a book we did on the book club a while back. And that was the criticism you had, had, Sean, where you're like, I feel like his character is assassinated to serve other characters. I felt that way about Spider-Man in this story. I don't – that's not a critique, really. It's just that was my read of it.
0: I didn't feel that way because the story was very much A, not explicitly about him. And B, uh, really, things have gotten really bad. Uh, this is the worst possible future, other than just absolute extinction, which the story is ge- gearing towards. Um, and one thing that I think people overlook about who Peter was as a young person, is that he was kind of a douche. <laughs> and Yeah, when he first mm- got his powers for sure. Even before that, he wasn't, he, he was a a brat. He was a petulant he, brat. He a whiny yeah. asshole. Yeah. And yeah. he becomes special. And he has to learn a lesson about what it means to be special. You know, the power that he gets isn't power he has because he's this great guy and he has a, an important job. He gets it because he gets powers that not everyone else has access to. But in this story, they do. So, what differentiates Peter from everybody else. How does Peter stay hopeful when the world has clearly moved on from hope? We've seen him give up before. It's not new sure. for him to give up. And so that's why I was able to accept it, especially because in the end he is redeemed through his daughter. I uh, I will say,
3: uh, too, I, I did really like... Um I didn't really like the scene where he's like deciding to get back in the action and he's just standing outside of the Halloween store and he's like what the fuck am I
0: doing like owned by Melvin Potter by the way
4: nice mm-hmm.
3: oh fuck I didn't catch that that's awesome Uh, yeah and then just like just just him running around the rest of that issue in this fucking dime store Halloween costume that says Peter Parker Spider Man on it. it was, that was good. <laughs> it's a good visual.
4: Yeah, he's clearly having a bad one too in this book. I would say he's in the he's in the top three having the worst ones with Iron Man and Wolverine.
0: <laughs> mm. That
4: was what I did. not talk like. about
0: talk about characters who are like
3: <laughs> fucking character
0: assassinated. <laughs> I yeah I despised that I didn't like where Wolverine and Fake Jean were at and I'm glad it was Fake Yo. Jean when they said it was Madeline Pryor
2: I was like yes thank
0: God bro
3: that fucking killed me though just like the fact that she's like fuck you I'm leaving you by the way I'm not Jean I was Madeline the whole time I was like God damn like what a
4: bomb
0: I know right um yeah didn't didn't care too much for that
4: having a real bad uh, I even time you don't I, say <laughs> i
0: didn't even know how wolverine can get fat but all right that was the funniest thing too
3: where he's like i can't get fat cuz my healing factor and it's like, and <laughs> Madeline's like well bitch you can't see your feet so you're fat like what do you want like get off your ass get your own beer <laughs> there
0: there's there was so much that we like haven't even addressed i feel like this book was massive um because there was that whole cuz there's so much
3: exposition they cram so much shit in 14 issues. Well, it's not even exposition,
0: <laughs> it's just what's there, you know, like the whole, you know, uh, um other like the death space, you know, that that Captain Marvel or Marvel had created where these heroes who had died and these villains during this other world where they think that everyone else died. Mm-hmm. That oh, yeah. was pretty sad.
4: Um that was excellent uh yeah something that's really cool that's lost now in comics is like there was like this unwritten rule that like four characters could never come back if they if like from the dead. that was like the cardinal rules and it was like uncle ben uh gwen stacy uh bucky it was five characters bucky um jason todd and marvell and so whenever
2: oh, Barry, Barry Allen was on that list for a so while So there's a too.
4: handful for sure.
3: You're right. Yeah. So many characters you could never be brought back and yet here Pretty they all are Pretty much all of them are back. Except Uncle yeah. Uh
4: <laughs> Marvel too for that matter. He's he's stayed dead and and that's why when he comes up in books like this it feels significant because like his yeah. his death is meant to like every character's death has like a larger significance like uh, Uncle Ben obviously is like the inciting incident for why Spider-Man Spider-Man and Barry Allen saved the entire multiverse. He, like, represents the death of the Silver Age. With Marvell, he was, like, he's meant to represent that even superheroes can die from real-life ailments because he dies from cancer. And, like, it would trivialize real-life people dying from things like cancer if he came back. It would cheapen something like that. Uh, So when he does make appearances in comics, it always feels a little extra weighty because there's, like, a... There, he has a certain mythical quality to him in comics, even though he was never like an A lister or anything when he was actually being published. So when he came back and like that's his role in this, and he looks like he kinda looks like Janice Bell does in Peter David's Captain Marvel Run with like his whole body is cosmic and stars. It's it's both a very effective visual, and I think it's really like many other characters in book in the book, like it feels narratively appropriate.
0: I was in awe of him when he appeared. I I don't I can't think of too many comics that I've ever read that he was even in. I've I've barely ever seen him.
4: Have you ever read the death of Captain Marvel? No. Oh, that's that's a future book club. <laughs>
3: That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I feel like he's a character who like his shadow. The shadow he casts from his death is, like, way more relevant than the actual point at which he was alive, yeah. right? It's, like, the like the characters who were inspired by him are more – far more relevant than he ever was. As we well, – uh,
0: go ahead, Marco.
1: Um No, just – what was the deal with uh, Hulk? Cause that was cool. That was probably my favorite. <laughs> that was cool. Stuff. They explained it. But, like, they did – but is that new? Like, is that, is that a thing that's yeah, happened? Yeah, no, that's just a thing in this book. Okay, okay, because that was cool. I wanted to see more of that.
3: I, I think it was really funny how they were just like, oh, yeah, it's just like the next evolution of the Hulk. That makes sense, right? And I'm like, yeah, but no, but why? But how? And why is Bruce Banner a little boy? Like, I don't, what the fuck is happening? Bro, wait till that, wait,
4: wait, wait til that shows up in Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk at some point, because it sure feels like it will. I can see it. Yeah.
0: Right, we, we got Lady Thor. Yeah. Yep. I was just about to bring that up. We got Lady Thor. Um, yeah. Did that originate here? Yeah. I guess so. Fuck. This is 99. So yeah, definitely.
4: It's not Natalie Portman. Um,
0: well, I think that we're better off.
4: Oh that. shit. This book was in 99.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, well, because I read the the reprint, I guess, or like the collected volume, and it was like 06 or whatever, so I thought this was like early 2000s. I didn't even think about the fact that it was a 90s book. Mar- no. Marco, D-
2: it's got, Good it's, it's got that old, uh, old, old Marvel Comics logo in the uh, in the corner of the covers. The great I big cl- M. I should have
3: clocked it from the Wizard World cover because that looked old as shit.
4: Um, Sean, <laughs> yeah. you said like you you weren't reading Marvel as much in this time, but I know someone on this podcast who's Pretty well versed in like late nineties Marvel right now. So maybe they can <laughs> maybe they can provide us a little color of what what it feels like. Th- does it feel kinda
1: Marco? Yeah, it feels pretty similar, I'd say. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, the art quality, the writing, I think. It's definitely oh my god. long and expository Whoa. and clunky. Um so Oh my god. Yeah, I think I think it I think it matches up pretty well.
4: He's a villain.
0: That's a fact. Margot is truly a villain. Um, I thought I thought we would end the conversation about the story because, like I said, there's there's way too many characters who have different yeah. things going <laughs> on to talk about them all. I wanted to point out one little sort of Easter egg, which is I don't know if it's confirmed or not, but um, pretty sure that Daredevil is Deadpool.
4: It sure seemed that way. Oh yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, I wondered if it was uh. Ghost Rider. Danny Ketch.
4: In the,
3: the back matter uh, of, the, I think, the first issue, they talk about it. And half. they
2: say, oh, people
3: people thought it was Ghost Rider. But the original Ghost Rider, like, he put his demons to rest long ago. It's not him. People think it's um, Deadpool because he can't die. And he was also, like, very sarcastic and silly. Yeah, um, It's funny. Spoiler alert. Uh, there are, like, two series yeah. after this. Right. Yeah. I looked it up. We still don't know who he is. They've never explained it.
2: Ooh, love it. <laughs> Fucking love I, that. I
3: love and I, dude, he was a great example of a character. I was like, yo, give me more of this Daredevil. Yeah.
4: Like, what is what, what the fuck is up I, with him? Like, who is he? What's his deal? I loved his design. He had like the Ultron looking face, mm. but yes. also I loved like the he like the like pentagram yeah, on his shirt. I, yep. I love that they took like, real-world inspiration from a daredevil and Evil Knievel, and that he had, like, the flared cape, and he was a daredevil. Like, he was performing, like, death-defying stunts, but, like, literally mm-hmm. trying to see if he can die. Yeah. yeah I, I, I
3: loved everything about that character. I thought he was so fun every time he was on the screen. Very satisfying concept. And, like, good comic relief, because it's not overused, but every time, like, he's like, oh, you think the Hulk could kill me? <laughs> like, it's just it's good. It's good comic shit.
0: So let's let's get towards towards the end of of our conversation by just you know taking a look at how this story resolves. We we talked a little bit about it. We, well, we actually talked quite a bit about it earlier. Um, but in the end, humanity is unified. It seems in a way that they never have been before. And I love the idea that it was their greatest peril, right? The moment that they were closest to utter annihilation that they were able to band together. And I felt close to this because of what we have been reading with the X-Men and what's going on over there um, in the sense that the X-Men who are mutants uh, in House of X see all these different futures in which they're just annihilated and in one of them in the powers of 10 we see that uh humanity essentially is going to get um sucked up into data and taken uh and absorbed into this hive mind the uh the phalanx i think it was yeah um and i love how in this book we don't get that obviously but Everyone is a mutant now, right? Everybody is. Excuse me. They're inhuman. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) They use the word mutant nonstop in this book, by the way. Yeah. Um, But yeah, everyone is a mutant now. So presumably that hatred that has existed for so long toward. Uh, mutants will go away or has gone away because there's no more reason for it. Everyone is the same in that regard. And that gives me hope for this future. And then the final piece of it all where uh, they light the torch and uh, it's the human torch that. mm, That was good. Beautiful.
4: There's what feels to me like a larger theme here, which is reluctance to change. And, yes. and granted, there are things in this book that are merited to resist change. Uh, there's a lot of bad things happening, but really it's like all these special people are no longer special because the whole planet's special and how they have to adapt to it and how they have to really guide to another generation. Cause at this point, all these people are really old. Well, and what I what I thought was kind of cool
3: too is like – I felt like this was echoed uh, in Peter's storyline where it's – ultimately what made them special was not really their powers to begin with, right? Like, sure, uh, yeah, like that's what sets them apart on a surface level, but like what makes Peter – Peter is Peter and his experiences and what he does with his powers and what he has learned – through being a hero um, versus the fact that he has spider powers right and like you know you think it, you look at like Tony and Reed uh Tony's not a super human at all and he's one of the biggest actors and Reed doesn't use his powers except for uh in the cerebro thing with the cerebro uh, little mini arc there um so I dug that too like it's that idea of this kind of, like, anti-collectivism of, like, if every, if everyone's equal, then no one's special. And, like, that's something that Uatu says. And that's bullshit. Because, like, you're the one who decides if you're special. Like, what matters is how, how you live, right? It's not the birth, it's not your death, it's what you do. I think, I think
0: I probably got I I think I probably got the opposite message in the sense that... Really? Yeah. In the sense that um, no one is special and that's okay. That what makes Peter and Cap and Iron Man and Tony special is their humanity, which is the same thing that every other human on Earth has. Mm. And the difference. Like everyone has the ability to choose and some people can choose to do bad and some can choose to do good, but that's all the, the, the like theater of humanity playing itself out. And that's what Watu is saying when he's saying like this, all this is irrelevant. Like this doesn't matter. These, these, people are whatever. They're just going to continue to do this ad nauseum. And where he's wrong is that he's undercutting the ability for change. And, That is what allows them to ultimately get to this moment where the book leaves you with the impression that everything will be better now because they had this opportunity. And if everything is better and everybody's going to try to live the best version of themselves, then we no longer need to have standouts like Tony and standouts like Peter because we can all be that. Everyone can be that. And I think that that's great and beautiful. Or you can just be Wolverine. <laughs> Always an option. So, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the art. I think we we definitely addressed some problems with the art earlier in that it was very ink-heavy, especially towards the beginning. Um, but other than that, what do we think about it?
4: I think it looks great. Like, you brought up that Nick Fury issue and, like... I think it looked excellent. Um, mm. Some of the designs are beautiful. Hell, that last that last issue with like Galactus and the Celestials is just a tour de force. Mm-hmm. There's one. There's the one page where he's like trying to install the 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 was it the nullifier or whatever so he can get the egg or whatever, and like his face is cast in shadow. Um, it's just. it's like a weird hybrid between like designs of Jack Kirby that are very much like there's very much tributes being paid to him but also like stuff Alex Ross was doing and obviously Mm. like in terms of artists like uh at the end of the day Alex Ross is gonna go down as like a top five beloved comic book artist of all time probably um and so when you have like those two kind of Generational differences colliding on page. It, 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 you know, the whole story is about like generational shifts and that's being displayed here
1: in the art. Yeah. I think, I think the, the designs are definitely like excellent. They're, they're, they look like they're well thought out. They're, um, they're also, I think they just kind of make sense. Like even even the to what Phil pointed out earlier, um, Namor he's he's like in this scenario he's half you know normal and then half on flame and then obviously represents something. Like there's a lot of visual analogies going on and that's that's a lot of fun. And um, I think it all plays to the story as well. Like while the the reason that. Um, Tony is stuck inside of his metal shell, right? Like it, the the way that his body is, the the way that Reed is like old and disheveled, like. But in the as we have pointed out in the past, uh, as we pointed out previously, the um in the Doom armor, I think for for me it was just like moments where the uh, as we call that like like the inking was was definitely heavy that sort of muddled some things and then uh there were like some perspective moments where i forgot what it was but i think hydra come in and this purple dude was uh had these like circular plates but in the background some of the characters were angled odd so it didn't all look like it was on a straight plane it was kind of like up in the air um and i think uh, I, I I agree with Phil the the celestial shit like that's cool as fuck like the the colors the you said Matt Hollingsworth right
0: he was one of the uh, colors was, yeah
1: yeah he's he, he does excellent work mm-hmm. uh, so I I was surprised to to get it that um or I wasn't surprised that you know after the fact with some like the brighter color palettes that maybe he probably participated in some of that because he likes to, to work in those kind of colors and uh really cool like that what was really cool Um uh, but. I think the the bigger moments definitely outshone some of the uh smaller problems that I had with it, uh otherwise, yeah, this stuff was really cool. It's like has a fun almost like silver age quality, but still touches on like some noir stuff. It was really nice,
4: yeah, that celestial stuff is definitely your jam, marco
1: hell, yeah, dude, that <laughs> and the Hulk stuff, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think uh. I'm with Marco, where like the things that didn't work for me for me with the art are definitely minor complaints, um, and I don't feel the need to retread them because I think he laid them out pretty well. Uh, I think the big moments shine well, yeah, and I think the most memorable moments of the book are memorable pages in the book too. Um, but for me, I, I really think the biggest thing, and we we already touched on it briefly in regards to uh, the new Daredevil, but. It's the original character designs that I think really stuck out to me. Um, the original de- – the n- not original. The new Daredevil's costume is an original design, and it's fucking awesome. It's so cool and so fresh. And uh, similarly, I really liked uh, the style of of uh, May's Venom Spider-Man outfit or whatever. And like when she goes to see Peter – the The symbiote. It looks like fishnets on her mm. legs. Like yeah. it's just cool. It's very stylish, and it's like well worn uh, iconography that's presented in new and interesting ways. And like that's half the fun of like superhero costumes, right? Is like they are so identifiable. Like how can you break them down and reimagine them and, and recontextualize them in, in fun ways uh, for an alternate universe story? And I think a lot of times people don't take as much advantage of that as they could. So, um I I really dug that stuff. The new characters felt like they breathed a lot of like new life into this this version of the Marvel universe and made it feel distinct for me.
1: X fifty one was really cool. His his design yes. I think was visually was visually compelling. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while like they were having a conversation, I found myself like really just like looking at the way that he was like built out. Yeah. Yep. The way his, like, yeah, the- eye, when they would, like, his eyes would telescope. Yeah. Like, that was, like, so neat. Kale, do
2: you
4: know who he looked like to me? He looked like, uh, Rom, the, was his, the Space Knight? Rom the Space Knight?
2: Yeah. Rom, Rom oh, Space Knight. yeah. Yep. Totally. Yep. No, that's exactly what I was gonna bring up, is, uh, X-51. I thought his, his design is probably my top one of this book. Like, uh, like, those the parts with X fifty one and and the the uh, uh the Watcher were probably the parts I liked least about this book, but man, those designs were oh they made it so fun yeah. to look at.
3: Dude, that last page uh, where he goes and you know effectively like kills Uatu or whatever he like disconnects yeah. him, that was yep.
4: fucking incredible. Like what a moment. That felt like when you look behind the curtain at the Wizard of Oz. And yes. He's not so yeah. scary anymore, is he? And like
3: big baby head for a character that I hated as much as I like. I hated a lot too in this story, and like I like a lot of his uh, narration. Not even like from like an expository, just like the way he would talk to and about uh, Adam, like pissed me off. Aaron. And what was that guy? Aaron. 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 Sorry. Um, it really pissed me off. And, like, the fact that they were able to elicit a moment of, like, empathy uh, from me when he is, like, demanding that he comes back. And then he's just like, please. And then he's like, Aaron. And he's already gone. I was like, Oof. Whoa, what the fuck? Like, way to make me feel for a character who I find totally repugnant.
4: Yeah, it, it, that part also kind of makes me think of 2001 A Space Odyssey, where, like... Uh famously in the movie the um the computer Hal's trying to kill the people because he's scared that they're gonna kill him, and as the people are going to kill him, Hal begs for his life. And there's that aspect here too.
0: It's just
1: it's good sci-fi, yep. man. That monolith? Nice. Mm. Yeah.
0: Watching <laughs> Galactus blast celestials is one of the, like, that's one of my top-tier moments of reading comics. Just seeing that take place visually was absolutely amazing. Um, I know
1: exactly what page you're talking about. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. That's... It's like, he just yeah. splits that he, dude in half. That shit was he's just wild. <laughs> fucking taking names, bro. It's
0: awesome. You never see Galactus really get to just take the gloves off and just annihilate people. And that's what he's doing here. For someone who's known more for standing around than acting, <laughs> my man was the Terminator yeah. here.
3: Bro, oh my god, yeah, it was so cool. Cause like you said, like he's always like this, like looming, like mountainous force, and you're just like, oh fuck, he's gonna eat the, but he never does anything. He stands around. Getting to see him just fucking whoop
2: ass
0: was so cool. And then there's that panel uh, where he's like his visage is over all the celestials, Um, and it's I believe it's the last page of issue twelve, I think. Um, it's just, just crazy, crazy good stuff. And, um, I think honestly, for me, I I really had very few complaints about the art. It wasn't perfect. Um, there were times where the colors were so muted that it kind of took the life out of the images. Mm Uh, and that was frustrating sometimes, but the influence of Alex Ross really leveled up this book in a lot of ways, because you can see, how much influence he had over everything that we were able to see here yeah. um the designs were shouted out already and 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 they were gorgeous Loki, key i thought looked really cool yeah um
4: black panther
0: yeah he's like black panther pant oh like panther man God. or whatever yeah he looked amazing yeah. um for this being the first time at least to my knowledge that there was the image of lady thor i thought that was really good too uh mm. so much so much to call out, too much with, too much to call out. So little time. Um, I really feel like this was an inspired book visually, that could have definitely dealt with less uh, words from time to time, because the art is so beautiful. And I think if this were a more modern comic, it would have had less dialogue. When we read older yeah. books, I just accept that they're going to be like that because I think. Oh, this. <laughs> well you know
3: yeah but that's even the thing with bendis it's all it's all fucking character dialogue <laughs> like this is like such a 90s thing of just like there is th- there are three
2: captions on every page like <laughs> well but even the the wild thing about this is books like it like Marvel's and Kingdom Come were uh 94 and 96 respectively mm. whereas EarthX came out in 99 yeah.
0: so well, to be fair to EarthX, I genuinely feel like it had so, so many plates to spin. Um, yeah. There was so much information. They had to establish what took place over the course of 20 years um, that we missed and get us to this point. So, to me, for me, I think they did a great job. And I love the artwork across the board with minor infractions uh my opinion. But let's give our final thoughts on the book and close the chapter on Earth X. I'll go first. Uh, I liked this book. And
3: at times I liked it a lot. And I really, really wanted to love it. Um, but it falls just short of that for me. Like, it, it was a great book. I'm glad to have read it. I'm genuinely very interested in reading the rest of the stuff in the Earth X line, like, you know, there's, like, Universe X, whatever. Like, I want to see what keeps going on in this right. world, in this this version of the Marvel Universe. Um, and that, that I think, is, is a feat, and it, it's an achievement of the book, um, regardless of the fact that there are things on a mechanical level that I think keep it from being, you know, like, an all-time kind of favorite for me, um, despite how much I really, really dug about it. Uh, so like if I had to put a number on it, like I think I said before, it feels like a like a high sevens to mid eights for me, and like I think I think I'm comfortable putting it like squarely at like uh you know an eight. Like it's it's good, not great.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's where I sit on it. Uh, it's it has its it has its strong moments, and I think a lot of it gets just cl- it gets shown to us cl- in a clunky way, and and that affected the way that I enjoyed it, but from a story perspective it it's really it, it really is like a, a good fun the cosmic story and i think for the minor art edit like the minor art elements that fell a little short it doesn't necessarily affect the the overall project as much as i think the narrative did but um for that i think probably like a seven seven five for me Uh, Yeah,
2: for me, this book just just didn't land. I think what it tries to do, the stuff that's come before it, does better. And um, I think its it's clunky execution doesn't really do the favors that it wants the art to carry out. Uh, So for me, it's a six, six and a half. This is
4: a, a... In general... I I really gravitate toward love letters to comics. Um, it's just a, it's a true kryptonite, if you will, to me, <laughs> and um, this is no exception. I I, I, pre- I really appreciate what the narrative was going for. Um, I don't I don't I think what Carol say uh, I don't think what I think what Carol's saying is uh, pretty valid too, though. But all in all, I would say. If you're like a real appreciator of really like the history of Marvel, this is a book for you Uh, because sometimes I I worry or sometimes I have a feeling, maybe it's irrational that like more recent Marvel books don't care as much about the history. Uh, And this book cares about the history. So for me, I would say this is a real solid eight and a half out of 10.
0: Yeah, uh Phil, I feel you on the love of love letters, but I, I would go a step above and I would say that this is a love letter to humanity. I would say that this is a, a love letter to human beings and what we're actually capable of. And it puts the Marvel characters in their darkest moment to tell the story of their greatest victory. And um, I love that. I think a lot of stories like this tend to dwell too much in the negative and it's harder for me to connect with stories that feature gods and people who are so out of the realm of, of being able to connect with to tell a story about humanity. But this one is able to do that because, you know, captain America is a, is a serum drink away from me. You know, Spider-Man is a spider bite away from me. And it's really easy to connect with that. And I think that this book does such a great job of establishing those characters as flawed, as human, um, and then being able to rise above the to the peak of humanity. Uh, that was awesome to see. And so I personally give this book a nine. It's one of my favorite event or mini series, maxi series books that I've ever read. And uh yeah, I'm really, really grateful, uh, Springheel Rick, aka Harris, that you recommended us to read this because this is something that I should have read a very long time ago and I really wish I had. Um Let me ask you this, Sean. Are you interested in
3: reading more? Like do you want the next installment or you feel like this is real definitive?
0: Um, I am very interested in what happens and what will happen, but I almost wish that there wasn't more. I do feel like this is mm-hmm. a very clean way to kind of close the door, but I would absolutely read What Comes Next. Maybe a future book club then. Maybe. Hey, and if you listening want to hear us talk about that, then you can absolutely reach out to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, on our Discord server, on social media, on youtube.com slash thecomicspals, wherever you're listening to us, and uh, leave us a, a response You know, if you enjoyed this. And if you want to hear us talk about the next installment or you want to hear us talk about something else entirely then you can be sure to do that wherever it is that you please that's going to do it for this installment of the book club thank you very much for listening and we will be back next month with yet another book take care guys let see us, you next month
1: let us know why I is right oh my god